Welcome to the November DCM podcast. My name is Tom Lanay, and this month I'm joined by a familiar voice to anyone who loves a film podcast. It's founder and editor of Film Stories magazine and host of the excellent Film Stories podcast, Simon Brew. Hi, Simon. How are Hello, you? Hello, Tom. I like you. Can you do intros for, for everything I do? Yep, just yes. for, you can have this piece of audio can I? and then just reuse it. That's forever. all I'm going to do. So you, you always start the Film po- Stories podcast by saying, my name is Simon Brew and that's all you need to know about me. Correct, yeah. But, but hopefully we'll find out a little bit more today. Oh, Te- I'm boring. Well, I'm we'll, boring. The films are interesting. I'm dull. Well, if that if we find that out over the next half an hour, then we'll just edit that. Okay, out. we'll just do song and dance. Yeah. It, okay. Tell us a little bit about the Film Stories podcast. Um, okay. Well, at, at its purest form, it's um, it's a weekly podcast where I just sit and and warble on about two films and the stories behind films. And I'm, um, it, it, I mean, technically it's a film history podcast, but I'm not. Very, I would say I'm not very highbrow or anything like that, but I'm not very highbrow, so I will say that. In that, my tastes tend to lean towards 80s, 90s, 2000, 2010. I tend to be quite mainstream, but not extreme mainstream. And what I found is there's loads of films that no one talks about the stories behind. And I genuinely believe that in virtually every case, it is a monumental pushing a boulder up a hill effort to get a film made. And who's people tell the stories of the, the huge successes and they tell the stories of the big flops. But he tells the story of like Turner and Hooch. Who tells the story of Congo? Who? T- but it's a really interesting story as well. And and the, 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 so I actually did Turner and Hooch, didn't I? But in that in that particular instance, because it's not regarded as some Oscar worthy film or, or anything of that ilk, no one's really digging in and telling the story. And yet the story behind that movie is really interesting. Um, and so I try and find two films that I pair. One tends to be very popular and one a little more off to the side and just talk about those and the stories behind those for about 30, 40 minutes a week. And, and that's it. No gimmick, no fuss, one clip of each and then just me talking and it lives or dies on on how dull you think I am. And how do you choose the films you're going to talk um, about? I, 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 I'm always juggling combinations of them. I've got a list of about 20 or 30 still into the future that I'm going to do or, or I'm hoping to do. But I tend to I, I, I tend to go with the criteria that I just outlined before. Is Is it it has to be something I'm vaguely interested in at the very least. I can't do snark. There's so much of it out there. Uh, I've picked once or twice films that I really don't like, but it has to have an interesting story behind. And even then, you're not going to get 20 minutes of me saying a film's terrible because you make your mind up. You know, if, the, the, the kind of film that I dislike might be your favourite film. And th- the point of this podcast isn't for me to punch down, isn't for me to attack you for liking what you like. It's let's just share the stories of what I, I mean, you, re- you read the credits of a movie and what even on a small movie you're reading 100 200 names and that's 100 200 people who went to work and, and put a shift in you know, and probably might, worked overtime as well yeah and probably worked out one or two might have you know blagged it a little bit i don't know <laughs> but but there are people who invested heavy time and money i mean I, I did one film i really didn't like at all which is the emoji movie um, but I think the story of that was really interesting. Um, and also, I remember I, I stayed and watched the credits of the Emoji movie because there's so much talent on that film. And I don't think the film works at all. I, 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 it really di- didn't. I, I mean, I paid my money. I took my kids to see it. They wanted to see it. They got more out of it than me. But that, that long, long list of talent of, of people who put two years of their life into that, I think that deserves a bit of respect. Yeah, and what I love about it is one of the most recent ones I listened to uh, about three weeks ago was The Naked Gun. The Naked Gun, yeah. Yes, which is a film I hadn't really thought about for um, for 
uh, really? for years. I don't know why. And I really love that yeah. film. So that Friday night, so you released it on a Monday. I'd listen to it probably Tuesday, Wednesday. Friday, yeah. my girlfriend and I were wondering what to watch. We hired the Naked you watched Gun. You Naked Gun. We hired the Naked Gun, yeah. And, you know, and funny enough, it was the clip you shot, you played. It was the one with the guys bartering, uh, Frank yeah, Revin yeah. bartering. Maybe with this the guy. will help. Oh, yeah, yeah. Maybe <laughs> this will help, yeah. And it was just like, I can't believe I haven't watched this for so long. Uh, it just really kind of, I find it quite nostalgic and it really gives me a warm, fuzzy feeling. I like warm and fuzzy. Yeah. I, 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 I'm very happy to give you on a Friday night a warm and fuzzy feeling. <laughs> and how many have been Kevin Costner filmed? <laughs> um, I have to space them out. I am a flat out Kevin Costner nerd. Um, and so they're on that list of ones to come. I mean, my favourite film is still to come. I'm Field of Dreams is, is right up there. So I might save that for the 100th episode, which I'm getting towards really quite quickly, terrifyingly. But I think, I think I've done seven or eight Costners. I think, um, and and not all of them, I'd say, people share my extreme affection for, but nonetheless, I think the story behind lots of them is, is again, really interesting. I think what intrigues me about Costner is, I, I don't think he's the world's best actor or anything like that, I'm not going to take a bullet for that, but I do think at the height of his career, he was making really bold, non-commercial choices to go from the bodyguard, and he's just like, well, the next film I'm going to make is A, a Perfect World. Clint Eastwood, where he, he couldn't have been more diametrically opposed to that role he was playing. And he was he was all set to be a classic like Jimmy Stewart style movie star, wasn't he? He could have he could have had that career. And he kept making these these really risky choices, not all of which paid off, and he paid a heavy price for them as well. So that's what intrigues me about him. I, I just found him a complete risk taker at the point where he could have had a very comfortable life just playing it safe. And I think he's a slightly underrated director as well. I think yes, he gets yeah, a yeah. bad Open rap range. because, Open because range. Dancers of Wolves lost to Goodfellas at the Oscars. No, sorry, beat Goodfellas at the Oscars. Yeah, yeah. But Open Range, I think, is a Well, let, let's do that. Well, I, I, Dancers of Wolves is a, is a really, really good film. A really good film. And yeah, Goodfellas is the better film, but Nonetheless, Dance Wars is not like a, really... a total robbery, is no, it? Yeah, 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 no, 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 let's calm that down. Yeah, Goodfellas is. is it, it. He should have won. Yeah. However, Dances of Wolves is an excellent film. It's still an excellent film. And what a risk. What a point. Um, because th- th- that whole story, and I've not done Dances of Wolves in the podcast yet, but you've correctly unearthed the fact that it's very much on the list. Um, the fact that he gambled his career at that stage, because he just, I mean, the Untouchables had given him real profile at that point, and he would done that run of No Way Out. It's a great thriller. Um, Sizzle Beach, USA, perhaps <laughs> not so good. But the fact that at the point his career was building, he said, no, I'm going to go off and make a three-hour Western. Don't forget, people weren't making Westerns. I think Quigley Down Under came out roughly the same time, but that was made in Australia with Tom Selleck and the late, great Alan Rickman. But that was the only other real Western that was going at the time. Three hours, a third of it's going to be in a, in a non-English language. Um, and I'm just going to gamble the house on it. And he did. And I just thought that was an extraordinary story. And the achievement of getting that film made as a first-time writer-director as well, as first-time actor-director, not a writer, um, I just thought was, was something else. The Postman's the one that he, he attracted all, all, all the guff for. And, and the, the Postman's not a great film, but it's a, it's an interesting one. I, I, I quite-ish like the Postman. I don't have a massive urge to rewatch it. Open Range, however, is great. I returned. It's I returned really Open Range at least once a year. Isn't it great? I think it's brilliant. Robert Duval, Kevin Costner. What a great a, romance a, as yes, well. Yes, 
ju- just terrific. So yeah, uh, we, could, we could talk about Kevin Costner. Is this a Costa? Yeah, is that what the C yeah. in DCM let's, stands let's for? Move, yeah, yeah, let's move on quickly. I think before. you should change the name of it Digital to like Costner TCM. Media. Tom's Costner. <laughs> I'm up yeah, for that. Yeah, right. If it helped, if we could get Kevin Costner on the podcast, that'd be enough. Is that what we need to do? Yeah, exactly. Like, well, I say we. I kind of commandeered well, the thing is, if your, you could your get table now. Kevin Costner on my podcast, you'd probably get him on your podcast first. You? I'm. I don't want to sound disloyal to you. <laughs> And I don't want to sell you short in any way, nor make false promises. If there was the chance of Costner coming along, he's going on mine before he's going on yours. But you have more clout. You, you're I don't a, think so. You are a, a, a more rugged and powerful you. force in this industry than I. <laughs> so you've also launched the Film Stories magazine yes. last year. What was the What's the aim of the magazine? The aim of the magazine is, well, it's a mainstream film magazine. And initially I pitched it as the smaller rooms in the multiplex because as I, I, I am a broad fan of cinema. And I think what the UK magazine market is great for, and we've got some really good film magazines in the UK, um, and and I don't really think we celebrate that enough. You go to America and it's very bereft, really, and it's notable that it's Empire and Total Film that sell when you go to a Barnes & Noble in America. Um, so really good at covering comic books at Star. I think uh, at Star Wars at Art House at um, smaller independent. But it leaves quite a lot of room in between. And I wanted to do a British rooted um, mainstream film magazine that covers the stuff that doesn't get an awful lot of coverage elsewhere as a rule. Um, and I also wanted to have opportunity at its heart and a twofold opportunity. So number one was an opportunity to filmmakers um, who can't get coverage in magazines because magazines are finite. There's only a certain amount of pages, etc. I'm magazine splaining. Brilliant. Um, um, but there are lots of independent filmmakers who, who are trying to get their films noticed and trying to get them into print. And so I wanted to open the door to that. And also, as a, co- as a consequence of that, I, I, well, consequence, part and parcel of it, was the package had to be that their film could end up next to an article about Batman or something. It had to be a great big discussion uh, of cinema in 100 pages. But also what I wanted to do was put my money where my mouth is, where bringing fresh talent and fresh voices into the industry was as well. So I have a couple of frustrations. Number one is if people want to get into writing about film, even if they just want to write one article, number one, how do you do it? Where are the obvious entry points? I commend what Empire are doing with their mentoring system, for instance. I think that's great. I think I think Terry White bangs that drum really loud. I think that's a really extraordinary thing to do. But I think those opportunities are in the minority, really. And I wanted to make a very loud noise about the lowering of a drawbridge of opportunity. Um, I committed at the start, because I I launched Film Stories and its subsequent uh, second magazine, Film Stories Junior, on Kickstarter. But I made a commitment with part and parcel of those that at least in Film Stories, two writers every month would be getting their first paid writing work because the other thing I won't have any shrift with is the idea that writing has no value and I don't pay great rates I tell people up front I'm almost apologetic about there's no almost I'm apologetic about it but I I don't take any money from film stories not least till it breaks even when I'll go and buy a boat I won't buy a boat Um, but um, because my business is publishing writing I have to pay for writing that is the, the 
basic the base foundation I'll work on. And so um, that was it, really. I wanted to have 100 pages of film mayhem, putting stuff on the front cover that's mainstream but otherwise isn't getting front covers. And I think I've very much put my money where my mouth is with some of the covers that we've done there. Giving people opportunity. I'm really proud of the fact that across all the issues of the magazine so far, we're I'm coming up to the first birthday of Film Stories issue one. I think it's 65 or 66 writers have had their first paid writing work with the Film Stories project. I'm really proud of that. But on top of that, it's not just about newcomers. It's about, uh, we've printed, what, another two, 250 other writers who've been paid for their work as well. So it's not a beginner's magazine. I don't tell anyone who the new people are either. It all goes through a, a professional system of subbing, of design, of layout. Um, and we, we really put the shift in. But what I wanted to do was a cauldron of all of those things that I didn't think were always prominently served in the UK sector. That was a grown-up answer, wasn't it? It was a, it was a great answer. Now? One of my in a minute, in a, just, just <clears throat> ten more minutes. Sorry. Okay. In, right. um, one of my colleagues, Tin Cop. Tin, Tin Cop is the best rom-com of the 1990s. Uh, Ron Shelton. I think Ron Shelton made some good films as he well. He made with some Kevin Costner. great films. He also did, um, and it, it only got a video release in the UK. Uh, a film called Cobb with Tommy Lee Jones yeah, as, as a very, very gr- as a very, very grumpy Ty Cobb. I think that's a hugely underrated film as well. But weird, isn't it, casting Tommy Lee Jones as someone so grumpy? Yeah, typecast. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's been your favourite article on the magazine so far? Ah, my favourite. Maybe most surprising got, article. Um, What's surprising is how much people open themselves up and put themselves heavily into the heart of articles. So I don't have a favourite, um, but what I have, what I did in issue one, because film stories spun out of a very difficult part of my life, the podcast did anyway. Um, in fact, all of it really. And I, I was going through grief at the time and I, I wanted to channel it into something positive and I wrote about that in the first issue of the magazine because I thought if I don't put myself on the front line on the fair and and open myself up from the start how can I possibly expect anyone else to think this is a safe space for them and so what's happened and I don't think it's as a consequence of that um, but I, I just think it was important to kind of plant the flag is I've had a succession of articles from people who are talking about really very personal things to them and what mainstream cinema is to them and how cinema has helped them through small things and big things. And the thing is, what's interesting about it is they've woven it very cleverly into just articles that are celebrating the films. So it's not a very overt clubbing you over the head with, uh, you know, you, you need this to do this, or if you do that, you'll be happy, or something like that. It's um, really, it's far more nuanced and far more um, textured than that, really. I am sounding a posh, aren't I? Um, but I, I've really enjoyed those. But then conversely, in the issue that we've just done, someone pitched me an article. We, we had two articles come in. One was the cinema of David Essex. <laughs> and the story, you, yeah, I mean, that was my initial reaction. It was just like, okay. And then you realise, well, in the 70s, there were all sorts of stories of how those films came together. And the article that came in was just extraordinary. I, I mean, really, really loved so it. Is that in the next? That's issue? in the issue that's just gone on sale now. 
but also a city, I think it's sitting next to in the magazine, an article on when movie stars come to Britain for pantomime. I just thought, what a lovely, you know, and then we put in a big article about Last Christmas. Um, then there's a huge article on um, the 2000 AD films that never made it to the big screen in the end and, and found out loads of stories of those. Um, and so this is why I can't choose a favourite because what I love is you just get this melting pot of cinema discussion. Some of it very personal, some of it very light. I, like, I love our quiz at the end. We have a very difficult quiz at the end of each um, at, at the end of each issue that I don't think anyone's ever managed to fully complete. Uh, we have Geostorm spot the difference most issues. Yeah, I struggled with the quiz in last <laughs> month, not this one. Um, so before f- film stories, you founded one of the most popular UK pop culture websites in Den of Geek. Yes, I tell remember me, that. Tell me how that came about. Um, that came about because I was working, I was editing computer magazines at the time, working for the computer magazine I worked for was bought by Dennis Publishing. So I, I'm a Midlander, still living uh, just outside Birmingham. The, it was bought up by Dennis Publishing. So I came across, I was commuting to London every day for about four or five years, um, doing this weekly magazine. And Dennis, for a long time, I dreamed of doing a website that mixed the, uh, it's a a bit of an odd one, you might have to go with me, but it kind of mixed the culture of something like The Lady or The Oldie, those titles that instead of being subject-driven, put, you know, the the, the human in the centre and then they wrote a magazine around the subjects that interested that human, so um, I'd read a few issues of The Lady. I'd read a couple of issues of The Oldie. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. So I thought, well, what's the geek version of that? But also what I wanted to do was do a kind of UK version of the US sites that were springing up around the same time. But again, without the snark, because I, I think there's quite a lot of hostility that underpins some of those early forerunners in uh, in online, movie online websites in the US. And I kind of wanted to do something that countered that. And so Dennis was experimenting with content management systems at the time. They said, if anyone's got any ideas for sites, just like it's odd you should say that. And that's how, that, that's how it started. Um, and that was 11 years of my life came to an end last year. And you said about Snark. I yes. thought that's something I found really refreshing about Den of Geek. You would actively shut down people who were uh, abusive or <laughs> or not necessarily even abusive, but just You're on about the comments. needlessly critical yeah. in the comments. Uh, and it kind of became a safe space to talk about a whole range of issues, including things like mental health in, uh, as well. Yes, that was important. Um, that was really hard work. I was putting in... I, I, I mean, that was most nights and weekends to keep on top of that. That was really spectacularly hard work. But then and I'm finding it now because now, now I've shifted the effort to film stories uh, and we're building the website up there. And it started again. I found it started again. Um, but you just have to you, you either do it or you don't. That's what I think. I think if you're trying to bring together a, a positive community, you, 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 you roll your sleeves up and you get slap bang into the middle of it. And you, 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 you make mistakes doing that. Of course you do. You know, you, you don't want to be judge, jury, executioner. Um, but conversely, you make yourself visible. Um, you, you make yourself approachable and cre- and you become part of that community. You don't have that them and us. You don't have the, well, the bottom third of the internet's for everyone else. It's not for me. It's just like, if I'm putting stuff out there and there's a comment section underneath, I found it was incumbent on me to police that comment section. But it was really, really hard. I, I don't know how... I, I mean, it's one of those things. If you have your time again, would you do it exactly the same way? I'm not sure I could. I mean, it was quite brutal. It's quite test, but also uh, I made it sound incredibly downbeat, and it's not because the reward of that was incredible. 
You know, it, it was it was always one of the places where uh, it was kind of rewarding to read the bottom half of the internet. Yeah, and and I, I like that. I was really proud of that. And um, but it, but it, I mean, I mean, pulling back the curtain on it, it was very hard work. It was it took a lot, a lot of time. And it got to the point where I, I, I didn't put notifications on my phone until as long as possible um, because I, I deliberately have outdated phone and I, I don't need whiz bang functions. I just like things like long battery life. Um, and so when I eventually put the notifications on the phone, I was just like, just sat there almost in tears at some point. Um, and there were, there were certain turning points for fandom that were magnets for a lot of negativity. And I think you see that still going through to this day. So we'll talk a bit more about films. And it's been a Kevin Costner light year. Yeah, so apart well, from the art of racing in the rain. Uh, I think is that the only well, one he's been doing. He's been doing the TV series in the states. So they're doing a third season. Is it Yellowstone? I think it's got. I've not watched that yet. I bought myself the Blu-rays and I'm saving them till I get a minute. But I'm knee deep in films. Uh, he's filming a new thriller that's out next year. We had The Highwayman, which was on Netflix, yep, yep. which was from John Lee Hancock, With who wrote Harrison, A Perfect World. Yeah. Um, so no, the the, the great man's uh, keeping busy. Don't so, worry. So uh, what have you enjoyed at the cinema this year? Oh, well, there's been loads, hasn't there? I mean, there's been Booksmart. We had Wild Rose. I thought Rocket Man was great. How good was Stan and Ollie? These are all mainstream films as well. Blinded by the Light. That I really enjoyed. Which you that. put on the front cover as well. I did exactly put that on the, the front. I put on quite a few of these on yeah. the front cover, um, and, and uh, one or two of them I put on without seeing the film. So I can't tell you how relieved I was when the film turned out <laughs> decent, um, because I've been in that situation before, and I'd imagine I'll be in that situation again. It's. Um, I think it's been a really good year, actually. I think there's been some really good stuff. I don't think there's been a flat-out masterpiece or anything like that, but I've I've seen a lot of films that I've really enjoyed. What's also interesting, there, there seems to be quite an interesting vein, I don't think it's talked about much at the moment, in sports documentaries coming through as well, that there was one on the England cricket team called The Edge, the Edge yeah. which I thought was really terrific. And, and that worked both as a cricket film and as an examination of the mental health ramifications of elite sport. I watched the, there was one on Everton Football Club and Howard Kennell, I just watched the other day, I'm just like, the production values of these are really good and they deserve to be in the cinema conversation as well because, I mean, in terms of broadening the cinema ecosystem, he says, answering a question you've not asked, um, those are getting, you know, special event screenings that are bringing more and more people into cinemas as well and there's a real burgeoning little market going on there and I don't think that's talked about a lot. But yeah, I, I mean... I, Wild Rose, I thought was terrific. I really thought uh, Jesse, Jesse Buckley is, a just, star, is just a talent and a half. Um, and there's been lots of films like that. I thought Dirty God as well. I thought Vicky Knight, isn't it? I, I thought as a breakthrough performance, that was great. I tell you what else I really enjoyed in the midst of all the summer family films as well was Dora and the Lost City of Gold, which I thought, uh, which I took my kids to see. But then um, I was just like, oh, shut up, kids. I'm watching this. I'm really enjoying this. Um, Isabella Mona's appeared in a couple of films that have been in UK cinemas this year. The other was Instant Family. She was brilliant in what that. What a talent. She was so brilliant Instant in that, Family yeah. was, might just be the surprise of the year. Now, that is a comedy that's actually got tons to say. It's a Mark Wahlberg comedy, and I don't mean this in a snarky way. Let's just say it has more jokes than you expect that land from a Mark Wahlberg comedy. The cameos in it are great. And I, I don't want to spoil them, but they're great. So I also, think Also really moving. I was yeah, surprised that's what I mean. It's just it, was, had a, yeah. it, had a, it had a real beating heart in that film. 
Um, and it's one of those where also you watch the end credits and you just see the humanity that's just kind of leaking off the screen. I, I just think it's been really good. And I, I don't want to neglect the fact that the standard of the superhero films has been high as well. Um, I, I think... You know, record numbers were attracted to watch an Avengers film, and how important for cinema for that, if you're getting those record numbers through the door, that that Avengers movie delivered on what people wanted. I think it did. Yeah, I don't and think anyone who was who was excited about it was disappointed. Isn't that great? Yeah. Isn't that great? Because um, and and I know, I know, I know, there's a degree of snobbery that goes for superhero movies. I don't play that game. I'm not, you know. And you and I would have grown up um, when we would get excited about the big summer film, and it would end up being Batman and Robin or uh, which you have Oh, you're off. young. You get out of it. Get out of it. Batman Queuing for Back to the Future yeah, yeah. Part 2. That was that was one of my most cherished cinema experiences. I love Back to the Future Part oh, 2. Oh, how long have you got? Um, yeah, I I, I mean, I, I think in terms of summer blockbusters, we were used to an era where they were far... Well, they, they were concentrated. Because yeah. now you just in take the, the word summer out. Yeah. yeah, and now they're everywhere. I remember, um, was, it, was it 97-ish, when they moved Starship Troopers to the winter? And that felt like, whoa, what's going on there? You know, that that, that shouldn't... Was it Alien Resurrection around the same time? And all of a sudden, these films that I thought I would Alien be... Alien Resurrection was November. Yeah, or, or these films you were expecting to be out in the summer were suddenly out and just, <laughs> what's going on? It's madness. So, I mean, in terms of the, the MCU, it's... Yeah, yeah. I mean, Endgame is the name, but it's not the Endgame. There's a lot more to come. Yes. I think people have placed more trust in Marvel than they've placed in any other property in in cinema history. and Haven't they earned it? And though? Marvel have earned it, haven't, haven't they? they earned and it? I think there's reason to be excited for what's coming next. Yeah, and I think um I, I think there are some concerns that come with it because when you have such a raging success and and we've not seen a success in cinema fiscally of this level before. Um so fiscally and so consistently. When you have a raging success, the the bandwagon isn't helping, I don't think. I think that the there are ramifications for cinema that are less healthy. However, this is a position that is earned. And Marvel, if you go back to the to the earlier films, they made their mistakes in plain sight. You know, you can see the yeah, it's not a terrible film, is it? But it's just it's just forgettable. It's like that bit where you hand your maths homework in and um, the, the teacher says to you, "Or well, leave you working in there." And you never, you never know, you might get a mark for your working. I kind of felt Marvel left some of their working out there. Um, but they've earned the position. I, I do have a frustration of just how dominant it's become. But that's not Marvel's fault. Yeah. Mar the, the Marvel films have, have worked for a reason. They understand not just their audience, but they understand inclusion uh, on, on a very broad scale of what people want from a night out at the cinema. They deliver on it. They rarely leave people shortchanged. They start a conversation. Um, and for for more than one generation, they really work. So I, I'm not snooty about those. And I think the next Do you one... want to know how to get like a whole cinema audience to scowl at you, though? I did this. Um, I went to see Avengers Infinity War, it was, wasn't it? That was the last but one. Uh, last but one Avengers film, uh, and everybody knows by now that there's bound to be something in the end credits. So I remember watching Infinity War, knowing there'd be something in the end credits, and just like, soon as the credits started, I was just like, got up, just walked out. <laughs> the whole cinema, the whole set, no one else moved. They were looking at me, and, just, and I'd already seen it, so I knew what was going to happen, but it's just like the, the, a communal scowl. And Don't do that. I think Black Widow coming next on the 1st of May next year, 
Marvel again are probably quite canny, and this will be a much smaller, smaller, a much smaller contained story. Probably feel a lot smaller in scope than something like Endgame and Infinity War. The turning point in my mind, as someone who was actively reporting on film at that point, as I am again now, was Guardians of the Galaxy. I thought that would that was that was the the big point where. The naysayers were saying, this is the huge gamble. This is the one where it will go wrong. This, and, and, you know, in hindsight now, how daft. But read the press going up the year before that film was released. You know, read the scepticism. What on earth are they doing? They're going to space, something like that. Um, it, it would be folly to write, to write them off. And what are you looking forward to next year? Um, oh, lots of things. Um, complete <laughs> Sonic the Hedgehog. No, um, <laughs> although that'll probably be good fun. The, the, um, the new design of the character is a lot better. I think there's, I think there's a quiet resurgence of quite a lot of British stuff that's going to get a cinema release. Um, and so I, my eyes are very much open towards that. Um, I think there's, I don't know. I, th- I think there's a whole collection of of stuff people are trying that may or may not work but i think by i I, this year has been dominated by commercially by a disney release slate and i i I think disney themselves are warning that next year can't be as big and that even on their even on their scale that it's going to be a quieter year more experience i mean their two pixar films look extraordinary so i'm very much looking forward to that yeah that's right i I think stuff like that i love i love the fact that there's still space um, to take gambles and risks like that, I, I'm very. And both much... of them look like huge gambles as well, in are. terms of plotting. Isn't that great? Like they look like completely original. It's the same with the, it's the same with the Disney animated film as well. I think there's a lot of experimentation on that side of their business. I tell you, one I'm really looking forward to seeing. Um, it's a film out in November called Ron's Gone Wrong, and I, I do film stories junior, so I've got an eye on the on the younger market as well. And what's interesting to me about Ron's Gone Wrong is this is being done by a company in London called Locksmith Animation, which splintered in part out of Ardman and the Arthur Christmas creative team and it's an it's the first attempt really to launch a big full-on family movie um, digital animation studio in the UK much like Illumination is set up in Paris and Ron's Gone Wrong is the first fruits of that and there's some hugely talented people behind that and I'm fascinated to see what happens with that because I would love that to succeed and Locksmith had a three-picture deal with Fox which Disney returned, um, as it's wont to do when, when it acquired Fox. But Disney is putting Ron's Gone Wrong out and then Locksmith have now done a, a subsequent deal with Warner Brothers. I'm really interested to see what that film turns out like. I think there's some brilliant minds behind it. I also think no one's talking about it yet. And so that's why I'd, I'd pick that one. And there are some amazing looking Oscar films coming up. There are some amazing looking blockbusters. But I think certainly the position I've put myself in, I try and like just pull back a curtain or two or something like that and see the stuff no one else is talking about. I went to a Fox pre- um, presentation about six months ago where they showed us some concept stuff from Wrong yes. Gone Wrong and it looks really exciting. It looks interesting, really doesn't it? And it might not well. work and it might work, but I think that's the kind of thing the British cinema industry should be rallying behind because imagine what the knock-on of that is if that film works. Remember the knock-on when, was it Gladiator was the first, um, the first time a British effects house had won an Oscar? think it was that um you someone might may correct me on that but it was certainly around that era but the knock-on of that was 
the, London now in particular has a burgeoning effects industry that Harry Potter effects industry cite, cited here and that gave that fueled what four five six effects houses in London as as a consequence of that but look what it also did it showed people in the UK that this is reachable this is something you can do all of a sudden there were hundreds of people working in visual effects in the UK Oscars were coming to the UK what we have with companies like Ardman and Locksmith is you're seeing the same with animation people look at Ardman and want to go to college to university to study that form because they want to work at Ardman because all of a sudden they've made it reachable and so that's what I really love about I love the initiative that Stephen Knight's doing to bring Mercian Studios to the Midlands because all of a sudden filmmaking in the Midlands becomes reachable um, we've got an article in the current issue of Film Stories magazine on Cell Nerdchums um, that's looking at all the studio spaces opening up around the UK because it makes it all reachable and what I want to do I'm vaguely answering your question, but what I want to do is find the productions that I'm taking use of that. Let's champion those. Let's shout about those um, because all of a sudden it opens people's eyes to I can do that. I think that's really crucial. Yeah. And um, so Stephen Knight's from Birmingham, isn't he? Yes. So. Yes. Birmingham City fan as well. Made a good stock. And I mean, it's funny, <laughs> he's made, he made Locke with Tom Hardy. Yes. As a Welshman, he should have been Brummie. Well, he, he drove. Well, yeah, and but the story of how they made that's interesting. Have you, you know, that they, was not been done on it. I've not done it yet. Um, but that was them. They basically made the film 11, 12 times that Tom Hardy did the drive up and down the motorway twice a night for over the course of a week. The phone calls were done in real time. Um, and so, you know, that's a way you can get a film made. I would love that's to have been there on the other end of the phone where they had Andrew Scott and Olivia Colman well, and people like that like, spoof, just like, lined yeah. up to do a phone, make you'd a phone call to You'd have just rung up for... to see if he wants his PPI yeah. insurance. Yeah. <laughs> um, are you a Bond fan? Yeah, yeah. Are we, yeah can yeah. we expect much Bond coverage in film stories or is that just something yeah, that you're not you so can. interested you can. Of, course, of course we'll talk about Bond, but also there's no point me putting James Bond on a front cover. Uh, I'd imagine Empire's gonna do, going to do that. And also, I'd imagine Empire's going to do a far better job than I can. What's the point of fighting about that? Uh, I'd rather applaud them. Are you, really. are you excited for No Time Today? Of course, yeah. Yeah, but uh, I, 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 always like the, um, I always like the ethos of you, you treat films like it's Christmas Eve. And I think the film magazines in the UK have generally been very good at that. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to a Bond film. That, that, should be, that should be a lot of fun. And, and it's clearly going to have some ramifications as well. Um, but I'm avoiding anything about it. No, I, in I terms tend of spoilers, to, and yeah, I tend to go into films knowing as little as possible. Which it's hard I with a film like Bond, though. Isn't no, it's it? easy. It's easy. Just don't watch just don't the trailer. <laughs> just don't watch the trailer. I mean, I put trailers on a website blind primarily. Oh, so you never watch them? No, and that, I think that accounts for why I tend to like films, uh, certain films, more than most because I've got no idea what I'm going to get. I, 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 when you go into a film and you've got nothing but the synopsis and who's in it. Um, it's all a surprise. I like that. It's one of the frustrating things about my job is that I have to watch all the trailers and then have to show them to other people. And so, do you have to reenact them? No, that's not you yet. Could do that. Not yet. Funnily enough, we haven't got a Bond trailer yet, so I'm thinking I might actually do that. <laughs> what reenact Bond? Re re just, it, it, yeah, say yeah. this is. We haven't got a trailer for you to show, so I'll just pretend to be Bond for two and a half minutes. That's but, a, but you, I mean, Paramount had that Cloverfield experiment, didn't they? Yeah. That, that lasted. What? Well, I mean, I, I assume they'll still keep it going. Where. The, the first Cloverfield film was was released with a, a pretty much a surprise, just a, a, a trailer that was very uh, distant, um, didn't even tell you the title of the film at the time, 
uh, and most people got to the film knowing next to nothing about it. The same with um, Ten Cloverfield Lane. Ten Cloverfield Lane, which I think is a terrific film, actually. I think that's a, and clearly retooled from another film. But I don't care. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought the, the, the fact they did that the same way twice. I think that's a lovely way to go. I don't think you can do it with everything, sadly. But I love that there's space for that. One tip: the, the trailer for The Invisible Man came out yes. last week, and I think it looks really terrific. Like, yes, um, I, there's I, a I, gag I, in here, isn't there? No, no, there isn't. Okay, uh, but um, it's a film I'm actually excited to see. But the trailer there you seems go. the trailer. Boom. Yeah, boom. The trailer seems like it's given you everything, so definitely don't. Yeah, watch and and I I I mean when I it, in my previous job I was writing about a lot of trailers that did give an awful lot away. I mean I remember going to see Prometheus. And and sat uh, because they really what they didn't necessarily do with Prometheus was lots of trailers, but they did do lots of stills and lots of and I was just like I was just sat there just like well I've not seen that picture yet I've not seen that picture yet I've not seen and that's a sign that the film's not working as well but also the least forearmed you are the better I'm going to see the Irishman I've not watched the trailer you know, nothing. I've, I've actually to, avoided the Irishman to, trailer. To I'm be going fair, to see as well. even if you've seen ten minutes of promos for the Irishman, you've not watched ninety eight percent of the film anyway. Though, and we're coming up to a special period of Christmas. You've yes. already mentioned Arthur Christmas. Arthur Christmas What's is your a really Christmas terrific film. film. Mine, um, I, I'll go for the underrated one because I love um, I, I love all the usuals. I love Muppet Christmas Carol. I love Die Hard. I love It's a Wonderful Life. The one that no one ever talks about is a Kenneth Branagh movie called In the Bleak Midwinter, and he made it just before he did that huge production of Hamlet. And he just got a bunch of lovies into a church for, uh, what, 10 days, paid them out of his own pocket, shot it in black and white, and it's a bunch of lovies. Uh, he wrote a film for his mates, again, basically, um, putting on a production of Hamlet on Christmas Eve. And it's really funny, and it's Richard Bryce's best screen performance, and it's really hard to track down, but it's it's well worth it. I haven't actually seen that one. No one has. No, no I mean, one has. I, I, I but was, it's hilarious. I was going to offer Bernard and the Genie. <laughs> Bernard and the Genie was TV though, wasn't it? Yeah. That's, but uh, but I, I, yeah, I mean, Lenny Henry gets asked about that fairly regularly. Does he? And rightly so, yeah. It's huge it's never on anymore, is it? Um, I think it popped up in its entirety on YouTube or something, didn't okay. it? Okay. I don't um, know. I haven't seen it for years, but I, I remember I when it came so. out, I watched it. I know it we covered it a couple many, of years ago. Times. And I know the response to us covering it was, was bananas. It's like the Box of Delights, isn't it? If we're going to go down the television route, tele- uh, and the Box of Delights, it's time of year when you have to start watching the Box of Delights. The wolves are running. Yeah, the opening credits would oh, very yeah. evocative. Yes, Patrick Trout, God bless. Him. Anyway, that's. I think that's just about because we've got somewhere else to be. Oh, have I waffled too much? No, Excellent. No, what are the Cosnerfield? Thirteen days. This that was. Th- th- 13 Days, oh God, that's a good one as well. Isn't that a great film? Roger Donaldson, who directed No Way Out, came yeah. back to Costner with 13 Days. They filmed most of it on one big, enormous set as well. Really? Yep. Um, but if that's you all you're getting it, for it's now. about the Cuban Missile yeah, Crisis. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, w- we have to walk somewhere next, so we'll talk about Kevin Costner on the way. We can but do that. Thanks if, for joining me, Simon. Absolute pleasure. Uh, my name's Tom, as you probably know. Uh, thanks for listening. I'll be back next month. It's December, can you believe it, next month? And oh, ho, ho. We'll be talking about... What we can look forward to throughout the uh, entirety of 2020. But thanks for listening. Don't forget to like the podcast and subscribe. Well, actually, um, write us a review as well. We haven't had many of them. Um, thanks for listening. Bye.